Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm going to be speaking today with Harry Moser, who is with the Reshoring Initiative. And Harry's been working with the Reshoring Initiative for a number of years, trying to bring manufacturing jobs back to the U.S., and so we're excited to find out how we're doing in doing that. Harry, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. It's great to be here. Uh, I, I guess what one point where you said trying to bring jobs back, I'd say <laughs> bringing jobs back. And, Good for you. Because uh, remember Yoda said to Luke Skywalker, don't try, do. Yeah, so right. It's important to, 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 to know that you're doing it and, and, to, and to do it. So to sort of put some perspective on that, we were founded or I founded the organization in 2010. And in that year, about 6,000 jobs were announced coming back. And in 2017, 180,000 were announced coming back in the one year. So up by a factor of 30. So I'd say that's doing. Now, it is. it's not not all because of us. You know, President Obama helped, President, President Trump's helped. You know, other people have played important roles, but but I'm I'm delighted by how successful it's been. Harry, do you have any idea what the net is in terms of, you know, jobs going versus jobs coming back? Are we ahead or behind or is this a zero sum game? Yeah. Uh, well, the, the simplest answer to that is that the trade deficit has continued to grow, which would say that, that we still have lost more jobs than we brought back because otherwise the trade deficit wouldn't have grown. We don't see a lot of offshoring decisions. We don't see a lot of companies shutting factories and, and moving to China anymore. But the, but the amount that gets purchased is growing because people are buying more stuff. And right. And prices have gone up from China because their wages have gone up so much. So, you know, I'd love to be able to say that, that the trade deficit has shrunk, but the government won't let me do that because it's not true. Uh, <laughs> I guess a, an, another interesting perspective is that accumulating all of the jobs that have been reshored or FDI'd, foreign direct investment, the, the two of those together, which is what we track, they – uh, re- represent about 5% of all current manufacturing jobs and about 40% of the increase since the low in March of 2010. So so if we hadn't been reshoring and FDIing, then we'd have 600,000 fewer jobs and we'd have uh, 5% fewer jobs than we do. Harry, on the website reshoringinitiative.org, there's an interesting statement I want to ask you about. The Reshoring Initiative focuses primarily on bringing back as much manufacturing as possible at the current U.S. level of competitiveness. Mm-hmm. It's that last phrase I want to ask you about. How is our level of competitiveness doing? Overall poor. And the best way of measuring that is that we indeed have a, uh, a goods, in other words, a things trade deficit of approximately $800 billion per year. 
and we have a trade deficit with nine of our top 10 trading partners. The only one with which we have a trade surplus is England, and they're not a shining example of competitiveness. So the uh, we just uh, and 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 what it comes down to finally is it's not that we're stupid. It's not that we don't know how to make things. It's that our cost is too high. Uh, we've done repeated studies, including hundreds of people who have used our total cost of ownership estimator to compare U.S. to other countries' sourcing, and consistently the U.S. is 30 or 40 percent higher in XWorks price than specifically than China, and maybe 20 percent higher than, say, Germany. And so the we are overall not price competitive. If we were price competitive, we wouldn't have the big trade deficit. Um, Harry, I'm just curious. Uh, with trade deficits, we run a $20 trillion-plus economy in the U.S., uh, strongest in the, and largest in the world, and at the moment doing the best in the world. And all of our trading partners have smaller economies than that. Isn't it likely that we will always run a trade deficit simply because we have more global buying power than the other countries do? No, I don't think that's necessary. I mean, G- Germany is a is a strong economy, and they have a trade surplus that equals 5% of their GDP, and we have a trade deficit that equals 3% of our GDP. And that, that 8% difference you know, for us would be something like 10 million manufacturing jobs additional to what we have today. So China has a a trade surplus, despite having a a GDP that's essentially as large as the U.S. The difference is China's GDP is primarily producing things, and our GDP is primarily consuming things. And in the long run, you can't keep consuming more than you produce, you know, as individuals, as families, as companies, as countries, because eventually you run out of money. And... uh, (laughs) And, that, and that's what will eventually happen. The, the U.S. is privileged, in a sense, by having the reserve currency, which means we can uh, borrow money, we can spend money, we can get away with deficits, personal and governmental. Uh, we can get away with not being competitive. But, but by being the reserve currency, the dollar is forced higher. Other countries and companies park their money here. It drives the value of the dollar up, which is one of the factors that makes us not competitive. Right, right. Yeah, the dollar has been very, very strong for quite some time. Uh, Harry, I'm just wondering in uh, the grand scheme of things, are there any headwinds, either favorable or unfavorable? For instance, we have the uh, USMCA that looks like it's going to be put in place and phase one of the China trade resolution that looks like it's going to be in, put in place. Is that going to improve the reshoring picture or not change it much? The, the uh, USMCA will, will moderately improve. You know, there's just the change from, I think, 62.5% to 75% has to be North American content and 40% of the product has to be made under, uh, I think, with 15 or $16 or more labor. But but if you don't meet those rules, 
then you cannot import duty-free from Mexico and Canada, and the duty in that case is only 2.5%. So the penalty is very small for not complying. So I think it will be a moderate help. I've seen studies that suggest 100,000 jobs or something like that you know, as a result of it. So I'm, I'm happy to have USMCA. I'm, I'm very happy to have the phase one with China. The, uh, it was pretty clear in 2018 and 2019 that there was, that there was corporate uncertainty, indecision, because of the, the tariff dispute. They didn't know what was going to be tariffed, from what country, for how long. And as a result, they slowed down on investments, and they slowed down on reshoring. And, and I'm confident that with, with stability that all of that activity will pick up again. Well, that would be great to have happen. Harry, we know as we met you at a conference uh, that you are frequently on the road at industry events as a speaker, and you talk with lots and lots of people. What is the one thing you keep hearing about in terms of reshoring or, or are frequently asked about in terms of reshoring? Uh, m- most, when I give a presentation, almost, unless I've covered it, the first question is, we don't have enough people now to make what we're making. How are we, how are we going to make 10, 20, 30 percent more? So right. the skilled workforce issue. And and that's a real issue, and, and it is being addressed. Uh, President Obama started with an apprenticeship program and, and certificates. Uh, President Trump has continued strongly with apprenticeship programs, hundreds of millions of dollars to fund apprenticeship programs around the country. And... And apprenticeships are clearly the right solution for welders, toolmakers, precision machinists, and so on. Clearly the right solution, basically as close as you can to the German or, or Swiss model. Uh, and so that that is the one thing that it, it will take the longest. You know, if we – balancing the trade deficit in goods would increase U.S. manufacturing by 40 percent, 40 percent, and about, about 5 million jobs. And we can buy the equipment, we can build the factories, but convincing America's youth to become toolmakers and welders, uh, training them, uh, getting them up to the level you need, we're talking decades to, to, to go through those societal and cultural changes. And, and so it's critical that we start now. But one nice thing about reshoring is that by society seeing that the tide has turned and that many jobs are coming back, more students, more guidance counselors will believe that, yes, Susie, if you want to become a welder, become a welder. Okay. Okay. Anything else that you commonly hear while you're out doing presentations? Well, we hear most companies still make their sourcing decisions. In other words, where am I going to make the thing or buy the thing? Still make right. that decision based on price. They, they have something called purchase price variance. Where, where can I cut the, the price of that market basket of goods that I need to uh, procure? And, and despite all, all the preaching by Deming, by Womack, by Shook, by all, all these experts in, in lean, uh, that they should – stop doing that and they should look at total cost of ownership 
they still buy based on price because it's easiest and it's easiest to get a to get a, a bonus by doing or or promotion by doing so. And so, um, so we we offer on our website the total cost of ownership estimator, which is free for companies to use. And they can use it two ways. They can use it to make smarter sourcing decisions. Where should I buy the product or, or where shall I make it? And also for selling. So we helped a, a Woodridge, Illinois-based company use it to convince a customer to buy from them instead of China. And it saved them a $60 million order by having the customer see all the costs and risks instead of just the price. Well, you know, there's some uh, interesting lines in movies I hearken to, um, and one of them is when Doc Brown is talking about a part that fails in his car, and he says, well, look at that, made in Japan. And Marty says, what are you talking about? All the good stuff is made in Japan. <laughs> and I know there are challenges in new markets. Uh, you know, Japan for years did not put out a quality product, and then they went the other way with uh, 0% defect and probably the help of Deming, and they put out great products. Uh, China has gone through a similar curve. Uh, with the tariffs on China, a lot of companies began to look at Vietnam and Thailand and India. Uh, are they uh, kind of throttling up in terms of quality, Harry, or are they still a bit behind the curve? Uh, I, I would say China is still on average a bit behind the curve, especially in in custom things, I mean, they're obviously great at making iPhones and things, televisions and things like that. Uh, and in these other countries, they were probably pretty good at making what they made, and now all of a sudden they've had this surge of work. These, these other countries are a tenth or five percent the size of China. So when a if if you start to move three or four percent of China's output over to Vietnam, all of a sudden. Vietnam swamped, and when you're swamped, your quality you, – you can't put the A team on everything because you just hired the B and the C team. And, right. Yeah. So so I'm, I'm sure they're definitely having delivery problems. I've heard of one, at least one company that moved there and has already moved out because the wages went up so soon. So they're, now they're thinking about either coming back to the U.S. or Mexico or Africa or, you know, or, or somewhere. So uh, they're, they're – China was it was an incredible opportunity for companies, and they certainly took advantage of it. That's largely history, and so we we suggested companies should, instead of bouncing to Vietnam, and then to India, and then to Africa, that they should do the math and see if they can. And they should find that about 20% of what they've offshored, they'll be more profitable if they bring back, and, and at least get that 20% back here now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, interestingly enough, a lot of people are saying, oh, robotics is going to be the wave of the future. It's going to knock out jobs, which I find to be inaccurate in the overall. Uh, but one of the airline assembly plants just discovered that robots don't do dexterous, fine work as well as a human uh, I don't know if you have encountered or heard of that, or if you have any comments on, you know, how a robot's going to going to help fill this skill gap. <laughs> Let me first make a general comment on automation. Uh, there's been a lot of hype uh, in articles about the robots are going to take all your jobs, tax the robots kind of thing. 
And, right. And so far, it hasn't happened. The the vast majority of the, of the manufacturing job loss has been to offshoring. Uh, approximately five million is, is how many we've lost based on the trade deficit, and and, and just a small amount has been lost to automation or or productivity. Now, can, can that change in the future? Yeah. Will it change some in the future? Yeah. But but the uh, the the key for the U.S. is that to balance the trade deficit would increase our manufacturing by 40%, which means we can automate, 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 and and higher and higher and higher, and still probably not have enough people. <laughs> so I believe it. See, what we say is that is that the U.S. will lose more jobs to Chinese automation if we do not automate than we'll lose to U.S. automation if we do. Because if we don't automate, China's buying three times as many robots a year as we are, four times as many CNC machine tools. If they keep automating and still have a lower wage than we have, we don't have a chance. So we have to automate if we want to stay in the game and win the game. Well, that goes back to the current level of U.S. competitiveness. You make a good point, Harry. Um, I'm just wondering, in terms of uh, robotics, what is your sense of it? Ours is that you know the robots don't uh, actually take jobs. They just shift where the jobs are or will be. Uh, the, I mean, the fact of that is back in the 1900s when they uh, introduced at Ford the moving assembly line, Everybody thought, oh, all the assembly line workers will be out of jobs, yet there are more workers in the U.S. automotive than there were at 1920. I think that's going to be consistent, isn't it, Harry? I, what you describe is true as long as the total output goes up, and that's certainly what happened then. We went from producing, whatever, 100,000 cars to producing a million cars, and, and instead of having 10 times as many workers, you had – Three times as many workers. I cl clearly, the the factory owner has to get a return on investment on the robot, and it, and right. the way they get that one way they get that is not having a second shift, letting the robot run during the night, having fewer people. C clearly, clearly, with with automation, you're gonna if you're gonna make the same amount of goods, you're gonna do it with fewer people. Now there will be people making the robots also and maintaining the robots, but the the key to me is to use the robots and automation to become competitive enough so that we make 20 or 30% more and satisfy more of our own needs and therefore provide good jobs for more people. Harry, you've mentioned your total cost of ownership model, and we certainly encourage people to go to reshoringinitiative.org to work that model. Give us some examples of things that should come back on shore that the, the TCO model would prove should be back on shore. Okay. For, first, it's, it's reshorenow.org. We, we are the reshoring initiative with the website reshorenow.org. And uh, so things that should, things, let me tell you what has come back. You know, the biggest category has been automobiles and automotive components. Heavily done reshoring by U.S. companies and also FDI by foreign companies, including Chinese companies uh, producing uh, windshields, uh, tires, things like that. So very, very heavy. A lot of appliance, uh, a lot of uh, 
uh, electronics, machinery, and, and interestingly, a fair amount of apparel and textiles. That there's been enough automation, and and there's been enough problems in retail with huge excess inventories that have to be almost given away, and customers wanting sustainability, not wanting stuff dumped in the in the dump. That now it makes sense to buy to pay moderately more to get the product in a couple of weeks, so you don't have to buy millions and wind up having to give away half. Right. Right. We certainly see that in every mall and outlet mall across America where there are and a lot of retail stores where at the end of the season they're dumping a lot of goods one way or another. Yep. One other thing I'd like to, like to mention, we have a new service we call the Import Substitution Program. So your listeners, let's say you have a listener who's a machine shop, and they're slowing down a little bit, and they're looking for more business, if they can identify the kind of product they're really good at, Mm -hmm. we can identify the biggest importers of those products in the country or within their region, tell them what quantity, how many tons each of those importers is bringing in, where they're getting it from, some idea of what they're paying for it, and then train the listener to use the TCO estimator to convince the importer to buy from them instead of continuing to import. So we can make them sort of a, a channel uh, for our effort to bring the work back. Harry, that's powerful, the import substitution program. That's, that's really incredible. And just so my listeners get it exactly right, it's reshorenow.org where you can get more information on that. Harry, how did you come up with that's a fascinating approach to this? Well, we we found a database where we can find all those importers, and we can sort by product, by region, by the country from which the work comes, by all kinds of things. Uh, we work very closely with the company to to uh, identify what they're really good at. You, know, you don't want to just say machine parts. That's too general. You want to get down to uh, more the industry that they're serving and maybe the material and uh, it just made sense as a way to, like say, I'm here doing the reshoring, and I, I need a hundred companies out there helping me do it. And the best way to do it is to help <laughs> them become more profitable by doing it. <laughs> right, right. Oh, yeah. that's that's terrific. Great approach. Great approach. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Yep. Harry, anything else you'd like to share with our audience as we kind of wrap up this segment? And we and we really appreciate you being on with us. We ran into Harry at a conference, and he's always a very informative speaker. So that's why I want to give Harry a few moments here just to uh, share some additional knowledge with our listeners. You know, two, two last things. Uh, we have two uh, national uh, reshoring awards. One is the National Metalworking Reshoring Award, which we put on with AMT, NTMA, and PMA. And the award will be – the winner will be announced – at IMTS, the 130,000 attendee machine tool show in Chicago at McCormick Place in September. And we still have until, I think, June to apply. And so companies that have reshored for themselves or for their customer, they can get on board and and they can find it on our website. They can find it on AMT's website and uh, apply. And and I'm the judge. I'd love to pick someone who 
heard about it on uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio. We also have a uh, a Sewn Products Reshoring Award, which we put on with Seams, which is an association of sewing companies and textile companies. And uh, we have three awards there, one for the cut and sew, like the job shops, one for the textile companies, and one for the brands, like Nike, something like that. So uh, in, in either of those categories, metalworking or sewn products, love to have one of your some of your listeners apply and win. If, if they can't find it on our website, harry.moser at reshorenow.org, send me an email. I'll send you the link, and, and love to hear from you. Wow, that's that's terrific. I'm I'm particularly pleased to hear that uh, sewn goods, to some degree, are coming back on shore. Uh, that's excellent news to, to have you share with our listeners. That's great. Yeah, if you can bring sewn products back, you can certainly bring uh, automobiles and electronics back. No doubt, no doubt. Well, Harry, thanks again for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. We always appreciate your knowledge about what's happening in terms of reshoring, but it, it goes beyond that, obviously, and your import substitution program is an example of that. So thanks again for joining us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate very much. Wonderful to be here. Appreciate what you're doing. Oh, thank you. And we appreciate what Harry Moser is doing with the Reshoring Initiative. It can be found at reshorenow.org. And if you want to send Harry an email, it is harry.moser, M-O-S-E-R, at reshorenow.org. You will also be able to find this show at mfgtalkradio.com, along with all of our other shows and links to our other shows, including the Women in Manufacturing, Where's Willie, Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman, Full Time with Amy. Those are all under the Jacket Media Co. umbrella. So once again, thank you for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.